Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist Season 2 with me, your host, Chloe Timms. Thank you for joining me for a new season where I speak to 2023's debut authors. I've got some amazing guests coming up who you'll hear from every Thursday. This week, I'm talking to Heather Darwent about her psychological suspense novel, The Things We Do to Our Friends, which has just become a Sunday Times bestseller. Heather is based just outside of Edinburgh. Originally from Yorkshire, she came to Scotland to study history of art at the University of Edinburgh, like her character Claire and ended up never quite leaving. In this episode, we discuss what it's like to be a debut novelist with the added pressure of your book being compared to big, famous novels. Her long journey to find an agent, including rewriting and resubmitting, and why patience is key during the publication process. But first, here's Heather with an excerpt from The Things We Do To Our Friends. I've decided to look back and make some kind of sense of it all. And the initial idea of starting to put the pieces together in one place was because Tabitha's mother asked me to write it all down. So she had something of Tabitha's, a tangible record of her life with the extended family. But I couldn't quite bring myself to cobble together a fictional account where we were normal students who did normal things. So I ended up giving her a vague excuse and she didn't ask again. But the idea wouldn't die down once you'd brought it up. And I thought, why not? Why shouldn't I go back over what happened for my own purposes? Then the question was, where does the tale begin? And although there are other places that may seem more logical, September 2005 feels about right. My arrival. How very dramatic that sounds, but it felt dramatic at the time. September is a month that has a special anticipation associated with it. As the leaves turn and the nights darken, the first time you crack open a book, cracking the spine and smoothing down the pages so they can't spring back up. It's a month that means fresh beginnings, and that only happens a few times in life when the slate is wiped clean and the story is ready for you to begin and tell it how you wish. The first day of a new job, when you're cautious and rule-abiding, or with a new partner when you share appealing parts of yourself to test the reaction. At university, it is even more of an opportunity. Nobody knows who you are. There are no expectations or preconceptions. How you answer each question and how you position yourself is entirely up to you. But it needs to begin somewhere. And for me, it was Edinburgh at Waverley Station. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me on the very first episode of season two to talk about your novel, The Things We Do to Our Friends. 
Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me. So can you start by telling us what the things we do to our friends is about? Sure. So the things we do to our friends is a dark psychological suspense um, verging on thriller. Uh, It's set in Edinburgh and explores how far a group of university friends will go um, when they start um, this dangerous business. So readers can expect lots of despicable behaviour, lots of lies, secrets, and a little bit of murder. (laughs) Yeah, really really great characters and really uh, (laughs) dark (laughs) behaviour. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this novel, because I was kind of, when I was reading it, I was wondering where it began, really, whether it was kind of, you started with the kind of themes you wanted to explore, or you started with the characters, or whether it was something else that kind of inspired this novel. Yeah, so it came from lots of things, really. So I guess in some ways, and I think a lot of debut authors definitely have said this about writing their debut, in that you kind of end up taking quite a lot from your own life, (laughs) because you're kind of like, oh, just take that, that's easy. Um, So in terms of like the setting and a lot of the kind of background, that was kind of from my own life. So I also studied history of art, like my protagonist, Claire. I um, worked in a cocktail bar, like Claire I have some links to France I kind of took all that (laughs) and then lots of the kind of you know the setting of Edinburgh I was quite familiar with so that was where the kind of inspiration came from obviously all the characters are completely fictional (laughs) I have to do that caveat (laughs) because they're awful Um, (laughs) but yeah and then it was really just like being in Edinburgh and I think I was studying history of art and there was definitely a sense of like I just didn't really like know what I was going to do when I graduated really you know I liked the course but I didn't I wasn't sure how like that would lead into a job it wasn't kind of immediately clear like what jobs you would do with that degree and then that kind of got me thinking you know this idea of like you know making your own job making your own life you know what would that look like I also kind of worked in startups for quite a few years and that was kind of an inspiration that idea of like startups definitely have that idea of kind of doing something new and taking on something and taking on a risk um I think that's a really interesting kind of mindset so as I said the group kind of embark on this really ill-advised business so that was really fun to write about so that was kind of a roundabout way but that's that's kind of where where it all came from (laughs) yeah I mean I had a similar experience in the fact I can't say my book relates to my life that much but in terms of kind of (laughs) taking pieces from different areas of Mm -hmm. your interest or what kind of fascinates you and putting it together in a novel um and and you've tied it together beautifully in this novel because it all fits together really well I was wondering how it feels to kind of have your book comp to some big titles so your novel has been described as this dark academia which um, many people may know that it that is kind of huge on TikTok at the moment. Um, mm. So your your book's being compared to the Secret History. Um, what elements or tropes of this genre do you think you kind of incorporated into your novel? And does it come with a pressure to be kind of put into this box? And particularly <laughs> as a debut, kind of have these uh, comparisons or kind of genre expectations? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I I think it, it is tricky. It definitely comes with its own expectations, but I'll concentrate on the tropes thing first. Like, I think there's loads of tropes in in dark academia, and also just kind of coming of age, coming of age. Although it's not really coming of age novel, but I love that idea of like 
the misfit they come they meet this like enigmatic group you know we've seen this in books like Brideshead Revisited that there's like a kind of idea of class and I love I love all that and I love that often it starts with the kind of good times <laughs> the kind of times when it's intoxicating and amazing and everyone's having a brilliant time and then you get the darkness and that's just like so fun to write about and I, that's why I can, I can see why you know we as writers people keep returning to this idea also why people keep returning to the kind of elite institutions they're these kind of it's quite it's not a kind of closed door you know murder mystery Agatha Christie style but there is something kind of closed off about a campus my you know my book isn't set on a kind of traditional campus like the secret history but it, it does have that idea of you know you're just kind of closeted in this kind of elite world and the outside world feels really far away which I kind of love. It's That's, again, a really fun thing to write about. But yeah, to come back to the expectation thing, yeah, I think it is quite tricky. The thing with my book is that it, although it's kind of got elements of dark academia, it's not got tons of um, academia. <laughs> it's like almost like dark academia light, if that's a, if that's a term. Um, it's quite a dark book, but um, it's almost like instead of going down the path of kind of, kind of elitism of academia they choose like a different route in kind of entre entrepreneurialism is that a word <laughs> entrepreneurship that's the word <laughs> so yeah it's like my own take on 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 the kind of tradition but yeah it is tricky there's so many amazing books um like Babel that came out last year so it, it is tricky but you know there's there's lots of different lots of different takes on the genre I think yeah, perhaps it, it leans more on the darkness than the academia. Mm, yeah. It is always hard when there has to be kind of comparisons. And often I think when people are writing to agents and they have to pick kind of comp titles, it's really difficult, particularly when um, there's that pressure to pick a recent book and say, my book's like this. And really it's more about vibes than it is necessarily about the plot. And I think um, I, I would definitely say that your book kind of fits into that that vibe because there's a definite sense of dread throughout and, <laughs> uh, particularly when we meet characters like Tabitha you're just like this is bad this is gonna get worse um and yeah, I think like that kind of whole group dynamic I think as well in your novel yeah like the group thing's really interesting I was about to say um yeah I think obviously Donatart does it amazingly but just it, writing about the group is so fun the kind of interactions of a group and the kind of little, little niggles and the little the little kind of bits of tension in a group um it's like it's just so fun to write like I quite like writing one-on-one -on -one scenes and obviously they are I think they're easier to write in some ways because you're not trying to kind of coordinate this big cast mm. in a room all doing different things and saying different things but yeah they're like for me the funnest scenes to write is a like if I get to do like a dinner party with like five people that's like for me the most enjoyable <laughs> in terms of writing so I don't know if you'd agree with me. I don't know, as writers, we're sometimes drawn to the things that we just enjoy writing. <laughs> it's like Absolutely. a pleasurable experience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's quite self-indulgent, but um, sometimes it's like hard to stay away, isn't it? When you're just like, I just really like writing this like specific kind of type of scene, <laughs> <laughs> even though it might get cut. <laughs> so one thing we have to talk about then is the prologue. And obviously oh, yeah. the prologues are uh, a bit Marmite. Um, I I love a prologue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Controversial. <laughs> so did you always kind of intend for the prologue to be the beginning of the novel? And or was it, did you intend for a prologue and plan for it to be this scene? Tell us how it came about. 
yeah so it was actually the first scene I wrote so it was like I did write that scene I did write it kind of chronologically it was interesting because the prologue is is the only part of the novel that's not written in the first person yeah I I, I mean I I have like mixed feelings on prologues I think like I do really like them I like them when there's like a kind of um circularity to the book that the pro there's a prologue and obviously I think prologues and epilogues are like quite really really quite common in kind of psychological thrillers now um it's quite rare maybe to see a psychological thriller that doesn't have either I mean they do exist but um they're, they're, they're obviously quite common so I yeah I think I think they're really tricky I mean especially the epilogue in the book that like was being that has changed so much because it's so hard to write an epilogue and you know fulfill the kind of contract you have with the reader of it being tied up but not too tied up but kind of lots of dread and you know and some questions but not all of them so the epilogue was really hard but the prologue was actually I think in terms of the book it's probably one thing that's changed the least there was um someone right at the beginning who was like maybe you should ditch the prologue or like move it to a different bit in the book but it's definitely been the thing for me that I was like no I, I think the prologue is it needs to stay I loved your prologue I thought it was kind of really gross and horrifying and yeah. dark and also quite surreal and I mean I, I think the thing that mm. I enjoy about prologues which maybe people other people don't enjoy is mm. that when you first open a book you ha- you kind of you're not sure about who you're going to read about or where the, the mm. book is happening or what's happening. A prologue is usually quite vague in a sense. And, but yeah. I find that enjoyable. Like I really enjoy that feeling of, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who this person is, but I'm just, yeah. you, you, you have that feeling that you're going to find out later in the book. And I think that always grabs you, I think. Oh, I totally agree. That's what I like about it as well. I guess that like, you have to kind of use that part of your brain that like takes the prologue and kind of parks it. Mm. and then it's, it's kind of return you know you have to kind of sometimes return to it and usually if like I feel like when prologues are done well um I don't know if my own prologue does this but usually with prologues like you're kind of you're when you're reading you're reaching back with a part of your brain and thinking and trying to tie it like mm. trying to kind of latch it on to the main narrative um and that's like that's just like a really fun part of reading a book I think is, yeah. is trying to tie it all together yourself and seeing if you can and then when it clicks it's like can be the best feeling ever can't it when you're reading a book and it, it all comes together and you're just like oh that's how it all fits I love it <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the kind of gothic influences in this novel obviously the the Edinburgh setting really really helps with that and you you chose Edinburgh because having lived there it was a mm. kind of obvious thing for you to write about how important was it then for the city to kind of help you layer this atmosphere of uh, kind of the dread and the the gothic nature of it? Yeah, I mean, I I love Edinburgh. I just think it's a brilliant city. I've lived around Edinburgh for ages now, um, and yeah, I think it just lends itself really well to to the kind of gothic nature, the architecture. But also, when I was writing, I want yeah, I, I, it's tricky. I wanted it to be to show that kind of dual side of Edinburgh can be like this most amazing city but it can also be have this kind of dark intensity that can be quite disturbing and it has a lot of different sides to it and also how someone who's not from the city and who arrives there how they treat the city is so different so how a newcomer treats the city and, and takes it in and interprets it so yeah no it was a big using Edinburgh a lot was was really important to me 
Edinburgh's great. <laughs> Although I have had some people say, you know, maybe Claire's Claire's impression of Edinburgh isn't the most flattering, which is true. You know, she has these kind of this mixed relationship with the city in some ways. She loves it and it's like an escape and she appreciates the like darkness to it. And, and, and then it kind of turns on her and the weather and things and, and she kind of starts to hate it. And that's kind of mm. part of the plot. So let's talk about Claire then, because you've mm. chosen to use a first person point of view in this novel. Was that decision because you kind of wanted to play with her reliability as a narrator and kind of hold her secrets a bit closer to your chest? Yeah. And again, I think maybe some of this is just to do with the kind of genre genre conventions as well. I find like quite a lot of um, the more, more towards the thrillers are written in first person. I just, again, I just really like writing first person. <laughs> It's like maybe not even a stylistic choice for the book. I just really enjoy writing first person and I, I really enjoy reading first person. Although it's interesting with a close third person can feel quite like first person, can't it? But um I it was I think I maybe wrote the first chapter in third person and then just immediately just very quickly was like no it's got to be first person and with my second book I've actually done the same thing I started it I was like no I think I'll write in third person started it and I was just like no it's got to be first person so I, I don't know maybe I'll wean myself off first person I also um quite like writing like just one point of view again because I know when I was thinking about it obviously it's very popular to have different points of view and kind of flip between them but I quite like writing one point of view as well but I don't know it's it's tricky isn't it I don't know what you think about your own writing in terms of the things that we that we just feel very natural and it's hard to to kind of change your craft I'm, I'm not sure I love first person I that's the kind of natural voice I think when I write and although I'm not writing in the first person at the moment mm-hmm. um, but funnily enough it wasn't until I started writing that I found out that people have very strong opinions about <laughs> they um, do. friends her mum said to me oh you know your book's coming out is it is it and is it written in first person I said yes she was like oh I don't read books written in first person <gasps> <laughs> so like, oh, okay yeah people definitely have strong opinions like people have very strong opinions over like present and past tense as well like so I I mean I mean it's really interesting speaking as a reader and a writer I love it all like I can't imagine being put off by a book just because of those kind of choices because I think it's fun to have the variety of of definitely and tense and yeah I think often when you start writing one or the other comes naturally although yeah I have made massive changes in in my first book about tense and and not perspective but tense and um but I I really like writing in, in present tense so yeah definitely and yeah you're you're definitely right I think when you're writing sometimes some things just do feel natural and you're like I don't quite know why this tense or this is working but it is definitely working but I'm the same with reading I think different genres as well have different a more it's more common to read certain tenses in different genres and that's that's pretty cool um, so yeah, I don't really have a preference. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information,
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let's chat about Tabitha. She is one of the most fascinating characters in this novel. I really want to know how you kind of built her character and how did you make her so magnetic and charming? Because she, she manages to persuade people to do some pretty dark stuff pretty devious things how did you create uh Tabitha well yeah so I yeah I like I really liked writing Tabitha she was so much fun and I think I, w- I wanted aspects of her to maybe be somewhat relatable but I almost had to kind of be like right she doesn't have to be likable she's not gonna be likable, <laughs> you know necessarily but the reader still needs to maybe see why why she's so appealing but I think with Tabitha part of it is like a you know the the big vision it's like it's really exciting I I find just generally in life like there's something really exciting about like speaking to people who have like a a passion and it doesn't really matter what it is if someone's like absolutely so into something that for me is so appealing (laughs) for me that the whole appeal of Tabitha was supposed to be that you know, if someone's got this vision and this kind of unrelenting revision of, of what things are going to be and this amazing idea, that can be like so magnetic, almost like a kind of cult leader. So, yeah, no, she was she was loads of fun to write. How on a, on a practical level then, was it more that she just, the more you kind of wrote her, the more you got to know her or were you doing kind of, basically I want to know more about your kind of craft. So did did you when are you one of these people that kind of does all those kind of character questionnaires or was it a more a kind of I don't know a, a, a less kind of structured way how were you kind of coming up with her personality yeah so I am someone that like doesn't do any 
character sheets or like I don't really even plan there was like a really good quote from like Erin Kelly on a course I did ages ago and I, I won't remember it exactly it was something like this it was something about the fact that if you like and I don't actually know if she's a big plotter but she'd said something like if you just write and you kind of get to the end or get get halfway through or two thirds through you find that you've kind of left yourself bits in the first bit that you end up pulling back in without even knowing so you've kind of just like left yourself a weird event or a strange going on and you leave these tidbits for yourself and you pick them up and that I, I think that's so true like if you're not a planner I think you can end up just leaving stuff and then you're like oh well, I, I put that in you know four chapters ago not really knowing how I was going to tie it up but um actually that's perfect that, that happened four chapters ago but I think the, the the issue around that is I don't plan. I then will do like multiple, multiple drafts. But I, the, that's for me is the most enjoyable part. So for me, editing is like the best part of the whole thing. So I love like structural editing. I like quite like, I really like line editing. So I, yeah, I just kind of bash it all out and then spend a long time kind of just, just changing it around. But I really tried because I feel like writing in thriller or suspense genre it's probably a lot more helpful to to plan more because they can get quite complicated with timelines and stuff. But ultimately, I think I'm never going to be a big planner. I remember writing, when I was writing things to our friends, I had to go back and do a big spreadsheet and plan and kind of work out what age they were at like what times. And it was all kind of having to kind of retrofit, you know, all these, all these things because I hadn't ever done a timeline or ever done a kind of you know what's happening off screen but that was when having like my editors at Penguin were really helpful in kind of making me do those things and it is obviously a helpful thing to do but ultimately I yeah I don't think I'm ever going to be a planner I don't know do you are you a big planner I'd love to I am now and I I, are you? I thought I was but then <laughs> for the sea women it changed so much and I ended up kind of not I always knew what the end was. That's always mm. been something that I always knew what I was working towards. I just didn't exactly know how I was going to get there. Um, yeah. Like you, though, hundreds of drafts. And then I, I'm a big fan of the editing process mm. as well. And I love doing that. I'd rather be doing that than Me doing too. the first draft. I hate doing <laughs> that first too. draft stuff. Me too. I'm doing at the moment. So I'm not, you know, it's not oh, in the place yet. I um, totally agree. It's like fixing fixing it in the edits is is so, it's like really gratifying. But having, yeah, when it's just like fresh paper and no words that's mm. the, and you don't know where it's going, <laughs> that's like the, the scary part. Yeah, I think also like for me, that's the way that I build the characters is just like writing and writing and writing and they do stuff and then I take it out and they do other stuff and I take it out and, you know, and then that's how I have to just just build it. But I, I think it's really cool when people do character sheets and stuff. I, I do wish that I could get myself into that kind of vibe. So maybe I will in the future. So one of the themes that I wanted to talk about was friendship because that plays mm. such a crucial role and how you, you sort of explore how friendship takes different forms. And one thing I thought you was really interesting is that your title, The Things We Do To Our Friends, is kind of mirrored in the end in dialogue with Tabitha herself because she kind of rolls her eyes at one point and says, the things we do for our friends, you know. And yeah. I liked that kind of <laughs> contrast between that dialogue and the title. So I was wondering, like, were you interested in exploring the ways that friendship kind of can be toxic, almost and dark and in almost the way we think about toxic relationships? We don't often talk about... Um, toxic kind of friendships so was that something you were interested in looking at yeah definitely I think it's interesting you said about the title so originally the title wasn't 
things we do our friends. I didn't query with that title. I think I queried with a cruel friend, but not, but I really like the things we do to our friends. I'm glad that it's stuck because I know a lot of people's titles do actually change um, on publication. And the reason I really like it is, um, is that like verb, like I love the, the things we do to our friends. Yeah. <laughs> it almost has like a little bit of violence to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really fond of it, uh, of that thing. And that's the kind of, I guess, the theme of the book, like ultimately these people end up doing things like to each other, not, you know, that not, they're not particularly nice. Um, I think, I think toxic friendships are like definitely becoming like more, more and more common in books. I've read loads of books recently, I think where with, with toxic friendships kind of at the heart of heart of it. Um, and I love reading about kind of toxic friendships because also friendships are, are so interesting and they can be so intense and they can be so complicated and, as complicated as and and intense as kind of a romantic relationship I think yeah I just find friendship really interesting especially at that age so the book kind of is set you know it goes back but also is set when Claire's like 18 and that's like a a really interesting age as well where you're you know finding who you're going to be who you are who your who your friends are going to be so yeah I think like for me it's I guess especially writing like book two as well at the moment you start to realize the themes that you can't stay away from and you're like am I just going to rewrite the same book <laughs> but but there are some things that I'm just like I feel like I'm always going to write about friendship because I do find it really interesting so when I was planning to ask you these questions and I was writing my questions I found at the back of your novel some book club questions and it was very tempting to just ask you those questions because it was kind of <laughs> interesting to dig into the to the plot of the novel a bit but I resisted um I was wondering whether those questions ha- were your input into the book or was it was it your editor that decided to include these and wrote the questions yeah so no they were all my editor and I've actually got there's like separate questions I think they're different in the US um it was actually really funny when my US editor sent me the questions I was like in a rush and I didn't like read the email properly and I just thought he was getting me to answer the questions <laughs> and they were like you know like what what do you think the, the contrast is the relationship between this character and this character and I was like oh god started answering them <laughs> and then I was like oh no they're not for me <laughs> these, these, are for the, these are for the back of the book <laughs> So that was funny. Um, so so no, yeah, no, I I didn't I didn't uh, have any input into those, but it was interesting seeing them, and it gives you another perspective on things of, of like how people would interpret the book, which is always mm. interesting, isn't it? People yeah. have these questions like, oh, I've you know I have thought about that a long time ago, but I kind of forgot that aspect of the book. Yeah, it does make you have to you know I'm sure you'll get asked these questions when you do kind of book club interviews and stuff and then you will yeah. be like answering an exam on your own book yeah <laughs> I'd probably fail <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you how long it took you to write this novel kind of from first idea to kind of completed manuscripts that you gave to your agent did you have a kind of feeling when you started writing it that this was something that had legs or was it more you were just kind of writing for your own enjoyment at the beginning yeah definitely just for my own I think I I really wanted to see if I could finish it I don't know about you but when you're writing it's like it's it's almost like writing just like 90,000 words just takes so it's just like a marathon isn't it it's like you have to just keep going and I really wanted to prove to myself that I could like write a whole finished thing once I started and and then it was just like I wanted to write something that I had to write things that I 
enjoyed writing and that's why it's you know stuff about the writing group scenes and things like that you, you know it was very much uh, when it came to the editing process obviously I kind of did a lot more work to make it potentially less self-indulgent <laughs> in terms of just you know you make it more you write about things you want to write about and then you're like no but you know the plot needs to do this and this and this and tick off these boxes so it it I, it's hard to say exactly how long it, it, it took I had an idea for it and then it definitely took like a while to get the first draft and then I queried for quite a while before I got an agent as well and it changed because I did um, a revise and resubmit for someone before I got my agent so it it changed quite a lot and I did the creative the Curtis Brown creative course again changed a lot during that course so yeah it's hard to say exactly how long it took from like because they had you know the ideas also were quite a while ago as well like many many years ago so I'm not sure that's an easy answer and then I was editing it once it was bought for a long time because it was bought in like February 2021 and it'll be out in January 2023 so that was quite a long edit process so yeah mm -hmm. quite a long time <laughs> so tell us then your journey to getting an agent so you said you queried were you just kind of finding details of agents that you thought might be a good fit how did you eventually find your agent yeah so I used the writers is it called the writers and artists handbook I, I don't yearbook, know if I'm, that's, I yearbook, yeah book that's yeah. it <laughs> um I think that's a really good resource like it's got like some really good like essays in as well as agent details it's like yeah I'd always recommend that to people because I just think it's a really good resource in general I use that it's also quite nice having something just like physical as well so much is online that you can spend you can go on a real rabbit hole <laughs> so it's quite nice having something that you know has it all laid out so I was querying it um, and um, I think I started querying it maybe at the beginning of COVID, but I wasn't really getting much kind of traction on it. Um, I still think it needed quite a lot of work. Um, I ended up doing another Creative Brown course and that was really helpful. So that was the three month one. I ended up getting a revise and resubmit request from an agent and their ideas were really great. They had some really, some ideas that really helped definitely and I really agreed with so I was like you know even if it doesn't work out these are like really good suggestions so I did that but then we were like in COVID so it was it was you know things were just very up and down weren't they and and difficult so I was kind of waiting to back and nothing was really happening and then I actually saw online that uh, my literary agency that I'm now with spoiler <laughs> we're doing a um <laughs> They were doing like, they used to do um like in-person pitch events, like around like in, in non-London cities. So I think they did one in Manchester or something. But in COVID, they'd moved this online. So it was basically an opportunity to like, you sent them your first few pages and your query letter, obviously. And then, you know, if they selected you, you'd get to pitch them on Zoom. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, it'd be good, nice to have the opportunity to kind of mm. sell sell the book as well, because you don't usually get that opportunity, mm. do you? It's all on the written word. Um, so anyway, so I ended up entering that. And I, uh, my now agent, Emily, uh, she liked my pitch for the book. And then I sent her the full manuscript. And then she, yeah, she made me an offer. And there was one other agent who was interested as well, but I went with Emily. So that, that, that you know, that whole thing, um, that whole process the, the process of querying was quite long for me and then 
on the other side the submission was actually pretty quick so it was it was like a few maybe a few weeks or maybe months oh, wow. but, you know it was a pretty quick submission process um but I think it just depends I you know I speak to so many people that have a short agent bit and then a long query long submission I think everything you know so much is just depends doesn't it and what about your in-between time so from when you signed with your agent to when you went out on sub were you doing a lot of work with your agent yeah so we didn't actually do a huge amount of work I mean we did we did do an edit it was probably a month mm-hmm. um, oh, okay that's that's very fast <laughs> it's hard to know what's it's so interesting as well oh, I, I say that I mean everyone yeah. has such a different experience you don't know what yeah like even like I don't know what's fast or what's slow so yeah it's mm. really interesting you say that but um yeah so we just did we did some kind of um structural changes but yeah we we, we didn't kind of like totally gut it and and I think she had she, she already had some like ideas obviously about who submitted to um and who would kind of be interested in what they're kind of she's like you know they'll have their own changes and stuff which they did so so yeah that bit was was quite um smooth um so yeah I'm interested to hear what if you can remember what mm. you were kind of asked to change and then resubmit one of the things was to include Edinburgh more oh, okay. so it was um it was like you know really bring Edinburgh to life more and I think that was like such good advice because I although Edinburgh was in the book um it you know I I I think I did want to bring it I did think I think I did want it to feature heavily and to be really ingrained in the in the novel but I maybe just hadn't had the confidence to kind of slow the pace and Mm. and bring the city in more so sometimes you need someone to tell you almost don't you like you know it's fine to do a bit of description and not you know I think it's really tough I think with thrillers um pacing is like I speak to a lot of people who say that's is it hard to get pacing right mm. um because you know it needs to have a certain amount of paciness but then you also kind of want to build an atmosphere in, in other ways so so yeah so that was that was a big bit of advice so that was that was great and, and I did do a lot of work on that I wondered whether you could kind of share some secrets or advice from your time in kind of this early publication phase and I'm thinking Mm. about people who are maybe going to debut in 2024 or people who are maybe hopeful that they might get a book deal this year or an agent this year I want to know what you think has been the most challenging part of your publication journey or what you've kind of learned or had to deal with um, Mm. and how have you dealt with it? I think like reviews are really tough so like I I think I thought that I would be able to like not ever read reviews (laughs) and it's just not really been possible for me like I need to read them and like I think it's like you know I know we've spoken about this before in terms of like reviews aren't for us as authors they're for the readers so you know it's not for me I know that but I still read them (laughs) um so I think reviews can be really tough you know what yeah what I would say is I think this and of this is not like me making this up because I know people have said before but things like you know if you get a good review maybe like think about printing it out and literally putting it somewhere so you know because it's so easy to focus on the bad ones and the people that didn't enjoy it and if you've got that kind of visual you know representation of the the good reviews then that can really like lift your mood because you know, it, it is tough, isn't it? And then I'm always just like amazed when I read interviews with authors and they don't read any reviews. And I'm like, I wish I could be like that. So like well, my advice would be like, if you're able to not read any reviews, like amazing. 
like try and keep that up forever just don't read any reviews and you'll be so happy but the other really good one is when you can you go on your favorite novel and read the bad reviews like the one star reviews of your favorite novel then you're like okay <laughs> I think that's actually a really good cure and I, I have done that before when I'm feeling down I'm like okay well people didn't like this book so you know it's fine what else I mean, yeah, just like patience, like it is a long, I'm sure you found the same. It's like a long, a long kind of, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you just have to kind of be very patient. And sometimes that's not very natural, is it? When you just mm. kind of want to get on with stuff, but there's not much you can do. You just have to learn it. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm getting better at being patient, but I'm trying to be. <laughs> One thing with the reviews, and I don't know whether you'll find this, but mm. I found that I was the same as you at the beginning and I couldn't stop reading them and I knew that it was a bad thing to do and I still did it because I was just naturally curious and because it was almost like a bit of a novelty because yeah you know no one had read it apart from me and my agent and my editor and you know copy editors and stuff I just wanted to know what other people thought but then I reached a certain point where it may be because I read a bad one and then I thought actually I've kind of had enough now I've kind of Mm -hmm. got my fill of feedback because I've read loads of nice ones that are saying kind of similar things. I know now what people think and I, yeah. if people aren't going to like it, I know why they don't like it. And actually you don't need to read five reviews or criticizing the same thing to, to, to realize that's what people have picked up on. And I, I wonder whether you're obviously really, it's really early on for you, whether you'll feel that you'll get to, I don't know, March and then you'll think I don't need to read them anymore. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I've heard loads of other people say that, of that, like, it's really hard at the beginning, you read all the reviews, and then you're able at a certain point to be like, I've had enough data mm-hmm. almost, like, there's yeah. no more data to give, like, I know why people don't, exactly, I know why people don't like it, I know why people like it. And I think for me, it's just reminding myself that the reviews aren't for me. Mm-hmm. You know, these these people aren't writing reviews for me to read, they're for other readers, and that's like totally fair. So I, I try and remind myself of that when I'm reading them and just be like, well, it's not for me, you know, I'm making the decision to read this, you know, no one's saying, no one's forcing me to read them, read yeah. them. So unless they tag you, um, which is unless they tag me. But um oh. and then but then it's like so nice when you get a nice review. That's mm. like so enjoyable. So finally, are you able to tell us if you're working on anything new at the moment? Yeah, so I've kind of um finished writing a draft of um another book too, but it's not a sequel. Um so same kind of genre, psychological suspense, thrillery kind of, you know. It's a more kind of like toxic wellness kind of cults, kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of wait, waiting on that. So we'll see. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I don't know if it's good yet, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> that was Heather Darwin talking about her psychological suspense novel, The Things We Do To Our Friends, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. <laughs>